Thank you, Bert. Good evening, everyone. Could you turn your Bibles to the book of Daniel? We'll be there for a little while. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, and we'll be uh, tonight, uh, and we'll be the first of several nights in Daniel, uh, many nights probably in a row. So tonight we're actually going to look at the whole, that we talked about on uh, last Wednesday, the scope of the day of the Lord, that there are many day of the Lord prophecies that have been fulfilled uh, in um, the Old Testament already. But there's also many that have yet to be fulfilled. And for instance, uh, the 70th, the day of the Lord related to the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period, the second advent of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ, and the creation of new heavens and new earth. Those are all day of the Lord prophecies that are yet future. So uh, last week we noted the scope of the day of the Lord and we noted those Old Testament day of the Lord prophecies that have been fulfilled in history, and we'll briefly note them tonight. But uh, tonight we're beginning to look at the what we call the eschatological day of the Lord, which is meaning the day of the Lord prophecies that are yet future. So the first uh, step in doing that is to study uh, the 70th uh, week of Daniel. But in order to understand the 70th week of Daniel, we need to understand the prophecy which, which is uh, found in. And so uh, that's why we, tonight we'll be looking at the three major interpretive approaches to the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy and what it's all about and what are these 70 weeks are about and everything and different approaches to it. So I want to do that and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll go further into the, into the passage. And um, I think, in fact, uh, let's see what next week I have. We have, yeah, the, what's going to be the beginning of the 70 weeks of Daniel and what is the end of the 69th week. And that's important because uh, there's a gap between the 69th week, the end of that, and the beginning of the 70th week. So we'll be talking about that. So there's a lot of things, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, prophecy is very, very important because most of the Bible is yet to be fulfilled. Most people don't realize that. It's also important to the spiritual life uh, because you see this, we saw this right from the very beginning in the introduction with the day of the Lord prophecies in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, and Peter's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And so and knowing that's coming, how should we live? There you go, there's the spiritual life. So. We see this often in Scripture, and I brought it out many times. Uh, there's things that God did for us at our justification uh, through the, both the, the work of the Son and the Spirit, and, uh, this, uh, so, and those things are supposed to motivate us to be obedient to God now in the present. And then there's, pr there's things that God is going to do for us in the future, like the rapture, Bema seat evaluation of the church when we get our rewards, and the tribulation period, the second advent of Christ, the millennial reign, the new heavens and the new earth, all those things are also to serve to motivate us to live the spiritual life. And so we'll be bringing that out uh, in this study. So there's a lot, this, this series is going to be, is a, is a, a huge series. It's going to be, it's going to take us definitely at least a year. It might even go longer, I don't know. And there's got a couple, I have a couple of big series like the Day of the Lord, like the church is going to be a big series and uh, prayer is going to be a big series when I get to that. That'd be like 37 hours. So I don't know exactly how long the Day of the Lord series is going to take us. I taught it years ago when I was in my first church plant and I, I started it there and I finished it off in my second church plant in Iowa. So, but uh, it's, I think you'll really enjoy it. It's fun. And uh, as I said before, the person who led me to the Lord was talking to me a lot about prophecy. And I brought this out in the past that there's this uh, movement out there among scholars. Some of them I respect greatly. Um, in fact, most of them. And, uh, they, you know, they're talking about, you know, you can't uh, relate to non-Christians today like you did 100 years ago, even 50 years ago, because uh, there's no bi biblical frame of reference in the country among non-Christians like there used to be, you know, when I was a kid, you know, 60 years ago, 50 years ago. 
And so I say to that, that's a bunch of garbage because what got me and a lot of people involved in becoming unchristian to start with and believe in Jesus is discussions of the rapture, the things that are going to happen in the future, this, the tribulation period, and all those things in Revelation that we see, and the second advent of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ, and the new heavens and new earth, all those things, especially the, the rapture and the tribulation period, that was very interesting to me. And the non-Christian loves to know about the future. That's why, you know, uh, we have, when I was a kid, you know, the astrology charts, you know, or the, uh, you know, watching your, you look at your horoscope each morning. I used to do that religiously when I was a little boy. And uh, th because people want to know their future, okay? So if you approach people like that, in fact, the funniest thing, when I, the Gulf War, the first Gulf War took place, and remember this really dangerous situation where, you know, uh, they were trying to, the United States was trying to tell Israel, don't, don't go off on these guys, you know, uh, Iraq, and because uh, they were shooting the missiles in there. So uh, everybody was coming up to me, like, at work. These non-Christians, like, so is this like the, you know, you know, the end of the world thing? I go... No, no. I told you what I said to them. I said, uh, it, it, when that happens, I'll be gone. <laughs> so then you know it's coming. But uh, so we, because uh, of the rapture. So because we're delivered from the wrath to come. So we got a lot of ground to cover. And um, I'm just uh, glad I got pretty much almost, I almost all my voice back. I had, I had it for most of the day. I mean, it's after 6 o'clock. Uh, it makes sound a little, uh, I don't have my lower register like I had before. So we'll see if I can do a song later. But I brought it just in case. If I feel good. So I feel good now. So thank you for if it, those who are praying for me. And uh, I don't know what it was, but man, it was like a cold. And then it just it was like just beat the heck out of me. So um, anyway, slow going, get rid of the stupid thing. And I hate that. I'm not a very good person who's, who takes uh, illness very well, so, <laughs> as my mother would say. But you are a beast when you get, you get sick. I'm like, oh, take it easy, Billy. All right, I'm not sorry. So because uh, she had used to deal with that when I was a little boy. All right, let's take a moment of silent prayers. As our custom, we take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, he, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, he purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the scriptures which he's inspired and that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day to study your almighty word. I thank you, Father, for the grace, the faith, the salvation, your work on our behalf in eternity past, and the person and work of your Son of the Cross, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, from regeneration to resurrection. I thank you for uh, everything that uh, we have logistically, the great logistical grace blessings for another day. We thank you for our military and political leaders. We pray that you give them the wisdom and the moral courage to lead this country. And I just uh, thank you for the leadership of our church, and I pray you would help us 
and uh, leading this church, and thank you for the honor and the privilege that you've given to us. I thank you for the honor and the privilege that you've given to me to teach your word to your people in this particular uh, location, this congregation. I thank you for the great honor and privilege to do so. The children that you purchased with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. And I just thank you for the study of the day of the Lord. I pray, Father, this study will be a great blessing to your people and would uh, help them in their walk with you and give them encouragement and, uh, and uh, in exhortation to go further in your plan to become more like your son, Jesus Christ, and also maybe at, at the same time helping us evangelize the non-Christian in our country that is uh, wondering about the future. And we know the future, Father, and because we have your, uh, the gift of the Spirit and we have your almighty word. So, Father, I just pray as we go into this study of the eschatological portion of these Day of the Lord prophecies that it would be a blessing to your people. Help me tonight to uh, speak, and thank you for the fact that I can I'm doing a lot better than I was Sunday. And I just pray, Father, that I can deliver the message by the power of the Spirit. I can do so, of course, and to do so with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power, so that I can minister to your people, so that they can receive the necessary spiritual nourishment. Because your word, man, your word says that man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of your mouth. I also pray that you would work, work mightily and powerfully through your people in the audience by the Spirit, helping to learn, understand, concentrate, and to prayerfully consider the passages and principles that we'll be noting here this evening. And I pray as a result, they continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it is in his name we pray. Amen. All right, excuse me, one sec. Didn't have a runny nose all day, of course. Anyways, all right, so enough of my complaining. <laughs> there are many Day of the Lord prophecies which have already been fulfilled in history, as we pointed out. Number one, we had the Assyrian deportation of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C., and uh, we also saw the locust plague in Joel's day. Number three, we saw the Babylonian exile of Judah between 605 and 586 B.C., and number four, we saw the Babylonian defeat of Egypt in 586 B.C., Ezekiel 30, verse 3, and the destruction of Edom in that great book, Obadiah, particularly the first 14 verses, as we saw last week. However, we pointed out also there are several Day of the Lord prophecies which will be fulfilled during the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. How you doing, Jeff? And uh, we just uh, see that these, this is the reason why we're going to be going embarking upon a study of the, uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel because the, the 70 weeks of Daniel is the beginning of this day of the Lord portion, uh, eschatological day of the Lord. So eschatology, remember, is the study of future things. So when I say eschatological day of the Lord or prophetic day of the Lord, I'm talking about those prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled in history. And the historical day of the Lord prophecies, obviously, that's, those are the ones that have been fulfilled. So we also pointed out uh, there are several great features uh, and also, actually, before I go, uh, go further here, is that, um, there, as I said before, there are several Day of the Lord prophecies to be fulfilled during the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, and also they will be fulfilled during the second advent to Christ, and uh, also his subsequent millennial reign, and also the new heavens and the new earth. Now, uh, there are several features, five in particular, about these Day of the Lord prophecies, whether they're already been fulfilled in history or what they, what, what's going to happen in the future with these prophecies, the eschatological Day of the Lord prophecies. One, we have imminency, uh, meaning they can happen at any moment. For us, the, the Day of the Lord is imminent, and it's all contingent upon the rapture taking place. The eschatological Day of the Lord is imminent. Paul makes that clear. And First uh, and Second Thessalonians, a book, two books we'll be studying in the future. Probably run into this. The, we'll probably, in fact, we will run into these books 
uh, in this study because we're going to show the relationship between the church, the rapture, and the 70th week of Daniel when God's pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. So we'll definitely be in those two books, and in particular, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, the rapture passage, but also 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 through 12, which is telling us uh, very clearly that uh, the Holy Spirit, who restrains evil right now and the, the uh, proliferation of evil in the world right now through the church, which he indwells, has to be removed. And right now he's localized with the rest of the other two members of the Trinity in the church. And so when we're removed at the rapture to get our resurrection bodies, the Holy Spirit will be removed as well, and there goes uh, any kind of restraining of evil in the world today. So you and I, and when we're practicing what the Spirit's teaching us in Scripture, we're actually the salt of the earth, and we're also hindering evil in the world. So uh, they really would like to remove, uh, Satan and his kingdom would like to remove the church from this earth. And of course, they're our great enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18 tells us that quite clearly, that uh, the church, and uh, its, its greatest enemy is actually Satan and his kingdom. And that's why we have trouble in this world. And if you're not having trouble in this world, in some area, uh, or in many areas, you're not having that uh, trouble in your life, you may want to take a look at yourself spiritually if I'm really a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Because the people who get, have trouble in this life, like Paul, uh, they had a lot of trouble in life. And those individuals are individuals that were on fire for God. So uh, the, the further you, closer you go to Jesus, the more trouble you're going to have. So, we also see there's also this imminency. That's one major feature of the Day of the Lord prophecies, whether they're uh, fulfilled already or not fulfilled. We also have judgment. That's obviously a big one. We obviously think about the Day of the Lord prophecies. We think about, oh, gee, uh, it's always about judgment. Not always about judgment. We see that it's also about terror many times. And then also we saw it's about repentance. Uh, some of the greatest evangelism, in fact, the greatest evangelism in the history of the world is yet future. Because during the tribulation period, you know, when you have the, 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 uh, uh, the Jews turning to Jesus, and then you have, you know, the 144,000 in Revelation 7 and 14, you know, they're evangelizing the world, and Gentiles, many Gentiles get saved, but they lose their life because uh, Antichrist uh, uh, kills them because of their faith in Jesus. But there'll be tremendous, millions and millions will turn to Jesus during that period of time. And so, yes, there'll be many, the majority will probably reject him, but many will turn to him at that time. And so uh, the, there's a reason why God's bringing this onto, uh, onto the world. To, one is to save people, not just to go and express his wrath against the Christ-rejecting world. And then, of course, lastly, we have restoration, especially with the nation of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel will be restored. Uh, there will be a national regeneration of Israel. They get born again and saved. The dry bones passage. We see Revelation, Romans 11, 25 through 27 talks about this, the national regeneration of Israel. And, and we, saw, we see it, uh, you know, look, they look on whom they are pierced. And they'll weep for them. There'll be a, the day of atonement is the second day of second advent of Christ is the literal fulfillment of the day of atonement. Just like the Passover was literally fulfilled by Christ at Calvary and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that is very important because the day of atonement, which is we see it we, you know, in the book of Leviticus, was at Leviticus 16, uh, that, that is very important because Christ will, when he comes back at a second advent, the majority of Jews at that time. Uh, will, in contrast to the first advent, will trust in Jesus as their Savior. Zechariah talks about that in Zechariah chapter 14. 
That's, there's other places. So this is very important to see this. And God's got a lot of things he's doing. He, you know, he can kill uh, two birds with one stone. He can kill more than that. And so uh, this is what he's, this is what some of the th th major features, five major feature, features of the day of the Lord. Now, as we noted in our previous classes, as I said before, there are many day of the Lord prophecies which will be fulfilled during the 70th week of Daniel. Now, most students of the Bible, and in particular biblical prophecy, know the prophecy of the 70th week of Daniel because it helps to compose the prophecy of the 70 weeks, which is recorded in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. So we're going to talk the next eschatological day of the Lord is the, is the tribulation period, which takes place during the 70th week of Daniel. So let me give you a little, uh, <coughs> a little uh, slide here. I think I mentioned this to, showed this to you the other day. Maybe I didn't. I was going to, I think. So, <coughs> excuse me. So you have, um, you look up on the board. This is another chart I have, not the other one. Let me just get a hit of water here. So you can see the church is in relation, what's its relation to the 70th week. So 69 of these uh, 70 weeks have been fulfilled in history. Another one last week is yet to be fulfilled. <coughs> we, here we are. The church is preceding it. Once the church has been rapid, that, that raptured, as Paul says in Second Thessalonians two, verses three and four, then, and five, he's then uh, six and seven to follow as well. The Antichrist can now manifest himself once we are gone. Okay, so we see that when Antichrist makes the treaty, and we'll see this in detail when we study Daniel nine twenty seven, which talks about the seventieth week. Uh, it's a, it starts the treaty, it starts the, uh, this, the, this last week, this seventh week of Daniel, which is seven years, and it ends with the second advent of Christ. But as we pointed out also, uh, it's, uh, and I might have show this on Sunday too, uh, with, um, with uh, Habakkuk 3. So in the middle, in the midway portion of the seventh week, and I believe Satan, when he's expelled from heaven, uh, during the, I think it's going to be during the midway point of the tribulations. Uh, this is uh, talked about in, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 12. That he's, he's cast to the earth, okay, and thrown out of heaven by Michael and the elect angels. And that's when I believe the, the Antichrist is sparked to break that treaty. And so uh, we see that this 70th week, this seven year period, is broken out into two, three and a half year sections. The first three and a half years is like a cold war. There's rumors of war. That's where Paul talks about 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, they'll be saying peace and safety. Well, guess what? Once the Antichrist breaks that treaty by uh, desecrating the temple, and it's desecrated in two ways. One, as Paul talks about, and Daniel 9.27 talks about, Antichrist sits down in the rebuilt Jewish temple and uh, on the mercy seat, and declares himself as God. And also Revelation 13 talks about this and the false prophet who's promoting the worship of the Antichrist. Uh, he is going to make an image of the Antichrist and make it come to life and he's going to have people worship that. And Jesus talks about this in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. When you see that standing, not sitting, but standing, that you, the Jews were supposed to flee. They're supposed to disperse for the final time, uh, leave the nation. And so uh, we see that starts what we call the Armageddon campaign. It's not a, a pitched battle like Waterloo. It's, uh, it's actually a three and a half year campaign, much, much like World War II, okay? So this, this is when you have the six, the seven seal trumpet and bowl judgments of Revelation 6 through 18 being talked about, okay? So that is, and Jesus caused in Matthew 24, talks about it being, that's when great tribulation will come upon the earth that has never seen, be seen before. 
And this will take the world by surprise, okay? And it ends with the second advent of Christ when we come back with uh, Jesus, the elect angels, the tribulational martyrs and resurrection bodies, Old Testament saints and resurrection body, and we, we start the kingdom. And we remove Satan and the fallen angels for a thousand years, and uh, we also, uh, tribulation armies are destroyed, Antichrist and the false prophet are destroyed, thrown alive in the lake of fire, and then we start the kingdom. When only believers will start off uh, the, the dispensation, the millennial reign. Okay, so this is this is what we got going in the future. So this is what we have for the seventieth week. So most students of the Bible, as I said before, and in particular biblical prophecy, know the prophecy of the seventieth week of Daniel helps to compose the prophecy of the seventy weeks, which is recorded in Daniel nine twenty four through twenty seven. So it's very important to understand. Okay, so what is the seventieth week about? How do we get this the expression seventy week? What does it mean? And you say, Bill, seven years. Well. I'm going to show you why it's seven years. <coughs> it's very important. And because then this is what we need to do is look at the whole prophecy in particular and pick out the major portions of the prophecy, the structure of it, how it's set up, and also the different interpretive approaches is what we're going to look at here tonight. With three major interpretive approaches to the 70 weeks of Daniel. And so if you look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 on the board, Daniel 9.24, and uh, this is quite interesting. The, the, uh, the NIV, they start off the prophecy as 77s. What's funny about it and ironic about it is the NIV has been, uh, is one of the first Bibles that actually approached the translation of the Bible in what we call dynamic equivalence and making the sense, you know, they didn't try to literally interpret it word for word correspondence. In fact, they can't do that anyways. No, no Bible translation could do that. And anybody who translates the Bible knows you can't do that. But there's formal equivalence and there's dynamic equivalence. And yet, here's the, net, uh, the NIV, which I think they're right to do, is they, they make a literal translation of the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew uh, expression here. Uh, where is it here in Daniel 9, 24? Uh, here, right here at the beginning. Okay? That's uh, Shavuim, Shavim. Shavuim, Shavim. Right there at the beginning in the Hebrew text of, uh, of, uh, of Daniel 9, 24. So it's translated correctly literally 77s. That's how I would translate it. In fact, I translate it, uh, I think I see, as I'll explain, 70 units of seven years, okay? So mine's even more literal. So I like the way they translated it. So it says in Daniel 9.24, 77s I decreed for your people, and he's speaking to Daniel, he's a Jew, and your holy city, and that would of course be Jerusalem, to finish transgression, we'll go through each of these eventually at some point in a couple, in a couple of weeks, I think, three weeks will be after the first of the year, uh, the sixfold purpose of this prophecy. Very important because it's related to this prophecy is related to, uh, to the history of the world, too, in the, in the prophetic structure of the Bible. It's very important. You can't learn, you can't do revelation until you know this prophecy. So, 77 is a decree for your people and your holy city, and here's the sixfold purpose to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, <coughs> and to anoint the most holy place. Then he says, no, and understand this, from the issuing of the decree, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, okay, as we'll see, uh, I pointed this out before, the, we have the, the very beginning, it talks about seven sevens, that's 49 years, okay? 
Prophetic years, 62, 7, that's 434 years. They're contiguous with each other. We'll talk about this. And so they run consecutively. But after that, this is what he's talking about, after the 62 sevens, which is, if you put them together, 483rd prophetic year, the anointed one, that's Christ, will be cut off. It actually talks about him violently executed as a criminal. And that's in the Hebrew. And the anointed one will be cut it off, cut off, that's been fulfilled in history, and he'll have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary will who? The Romans in 70 AD. Now this is very important. The ruler here, he's from these people. He's a Roman. And people are saying, oh, he's a Gentile. I used to think that too. No, he's not. He's not a Gentile. In fact, he does, he, uh, he's, he is a Gentile. When I say he's not a Gentile, he is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. I used to think he was a Jew. <coughs> he's not a Jew at all. He's a Gentile. So we see this is very important. We'll talk about this too in detail. And he says the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. And desolations have been decreed. We'll go through each of these individually uh, on one night in particular. Then, so all the, the first verses 24 through 20, 25, 26, all been literally fulfilled in history. And when we get to this, it's, uh, it'll be next week, I believe it is. It'll be absolutely blow your mind how accurate the Bible is. Right to the day. In fact, um, there's a guy, you guys know a guy named Harold Honer. He went home to read Lord. He was a great expositor, a great theologian. He did a thing on the, on the life of Christ and the chronology of stuff. And you can get it, I think you can get it online at uh, Bible.org. Dallas is like free. You can download, like, uh, you download my stuff. And this guy, Harold Hall, he passed away, and he did a great study on that. But there was another guy, and I won't tell you his name, because he asked me if I ever talk about this, not to mention his name, because he hasn't published it yet. Because uh, he contacted me, because he was reading my stuff on Academia Edu about the 70 weeks, the 70 weeks of Daniel. So I was like, well, and so he's got this stuff, and he, bre- he presented it to Harold Honer before he died. And Honer was like, yeah. The pro- it's even more, so in other words, what Honer came through with, and he, he built off the work of uh, Anderson, Sir Robert Anderson of the 1800s, uh, but he, 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 he was, you know, talk about how this prophecy is right to the day. Well, it's this guy I talked to, he had read what he gave me, we talked, and, uh, and, and uh, he'd like, read, I said, why are you talking to me? He says, he says like, uh, well, he, he liked what I did. So I said, okay, that's great. So, what, you know, so I have his PDF, so at some point, I'm even going to go and embell- go even further into how accurate this prophecy is. It's like absolutely incredible. After I read this guy's thing, I was like, oh, this is even, even more incredible. This prophecy, how it literally fulfilled the first, uh, first 69 weeks, the first 483 prophetic years have all been fulfilled in minute detail. And so in the, in the events before the 70th week and the end of the 69th week, the three events here in verse 26 have all literally been filled in history. So this verse 27 is going to be literally fulfilled as well. So it says he, <coughs> we saw that he was going to be the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with a many, hold on one sec. Excuse me. <coughs> I probably should pop one of these too. <coughs> all right, so he will confirm with a many for one, for one seven, okay, and the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. He desecrates the temple. Paul talks about this again in Second Thessalonians, we pointed out. And then he says, on a wing of the temple, <coughs> he will set up an abomination 
that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So there are three major interpretive approaches with regards to the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel in verses 24 through 27 of chapter 9 of Daniel. Now these different approaches can be class classified into two categories. One, Christological. Two, non-Christological. And I've touched, about this, touched on this before in the past about who liberal theologians are. When I talk about a liberal many times, I have to clarify that because I'm not talking many times about a liberal politically. I'm talking about a liberal theologically, which is even more dangerous, okay? So anyways, because the liberal the theologian, they don't believe in the prophecy. They don't believe in fulfilled prophecy at all. So the non-Christological approach to this prophecy, it actually is called the liberal interpretation. And it does not take it, the scripture as literal prophecy, whereas the Christological view, which is what we believe, it does. So the, there's a non-Christological view, that's the liberal interpretation. Why is it liberal? Because they don't believe in the supernatural, thus they don't believe, believe in fulfilled prophecy. There's the Christological view, which does believe in prophecy, literally, literally being fulfilled. Now the liberal interpretation or non-Christological view does not believe Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is actually a prophecy of the Messiah, Jesus. They argue that Daniel was written in the second century BC. The big argument against the book of Daniel, okay? Why? Because if you read the book of Daniel, we're going to do Daniel one day. Daniel, it'll blow your mind. I mean, we, I did Daniel for three, a little over three years in, in uh, Marion, Iowa. Had a blast doing it, studying it, and it's one of my pop, my, very popular series on, on our websites and stuff. And it was really cool because the more I went through that book, it's like, man, there's so much. Like Daniel chapter 11, verses 1 to 35, is actually talking about, it's just incredible how literally all these things were fulfilled in history in minute detail. And then you get the 70 weeks prophecy, 69 of these weeks have been fulfilled already. You got Daniel chapter 10. I mean, there's just unbelievable things that go on in this book and that we can, that we can learn and give us encouragement and uh, support the historicity of the Bible, the, the supernatural nature of the book of Daniel, okay? So these liberal theologians who deny the supernatural and deny fulfilled prophecy, they argue that Daniel was written in the second century B.C., which means that they view the book of Daniel as being written after all the historical events prophesied had come to pass. The early church and the Jews always looked at this book as written in the days of Nebuchadnezzar in the Medo-Persian Empire, 6th and 7th century BC. Never ever until, until a man named Porphyry, back, uh, well, say, what is it, about uh, 168, okay? Yeah, he was a Neoplatonist, and he, uh, uh, Platonist, excuse me, uh, he believed, you know, he was into Plato and all that stuff. But he, he had a, he, he believed the book was around 168 BC, and he tried to tie it to Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who's prophesied about in the book of Daniel. So no one ever questioned the book of Daniel's date as being a 6th or 7th century BC uh, uh, book, publication, uh, until then. And then we see back in the 7th uh, uh, century AD, you see other people following uh, what Porphyry uh, had come up with, and they denied the supernatural as well. But in general, throughout the church's history, throughout Israel's history, they all believed the book was written, it was prophetic, 
much of it's been fulfilled, and it was written around the days of Nebuchadnezzar and the Medo Persian Empire, which goes back to the 7th and 6th century BCs. So the, they're closer to the autograph, the ch- early church and the apostles and Jesus. Jesus, Jesus considered it as being uh, a 6th and 7th century possession based on what his interpretation of the book of Daniel was. And the, the Old Testament prophets of Israel, Israel, they knew this book as being uh, as uh, being a 6th or 7th century B.C. production, not a 2nd century B.C. So that's very important. I mention that because, again, the liberal theologian who denies the supernatural and prophecy, they argue that Daniel was written in the 2nd century B.C., which means that they view the book of Daniel as being written after all the historical events prophesied had come to pass. So therefore, they view the entire book of Daniel as representing the author's interpretation of past history. In fact, they don't think Daniel wrote it. Okay? So this non-Christological group believe the fulfillment of Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is found in the events that led up to the persecution of the Jews by Antiochus Epiphanes IV in the 2nd century BC. Those who adhere to this view of Daniel, interpreting it in this fashion, uh, include John Goldingay, R.E. Brown, you might have heard some of these, Fitzmeyer, James A. Montgomery, F.F. Bruce, and J.H. Walton, to name a few. Now, some of these guys, uh, they're not what we would call heretics, okay? Well, they, but they just, this is the view that they accept of this particular prophecy, which is quite interesting. Many of them are believers, okay? And strong believers at that. So the Christological interpretation, it's divided into two groups. Both approach... Uh, both approaches, these two views of the Christological group that believe in the supernatural and believe that Daniel's fulfilled prophecy, uh, they are divided into two groups, and both approach, uh, both have the view that the first 69 weeks are literal, and they both accept Daniel 9, 25, and 26 as a prophecy of the Messiah. However, they differ over the 70th week. One group views the 70th week as fulfilled already in history. Preterists. Okay, they believe this stuff was fulfilled in the first century, which is a joke, and many, of the, many things are written to refute that. One group of views views the 70th week as fulfilled already in history, and immediately follows the 69th week, and they interpret the he in Daniel 9.27, which is really fascinating, as a reference to the Messiah, or Christ, and not the Antichrist. Remember Daniel 9.27 again? He will confirm a covenant with the many for 1.7. Well, who's he? Well, he goes back to the, the ruler that comes from the people who destroyed Jerusalem and, and, the, and the sanctuary, the temple, in 70 AD, the Romans. Who's that? The Antichrist. He's the ruler. He's, he's the referent here for he. Well, how do we know that? Look at the context. What rules of grammars would point out, too. Say so it has to be this ruler, okay? He will confirm a covenant with the many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. When did Christ ever do that? And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination. When did Jesus ever do that? That causes desolation until the end that his decree is poured out on him. All right, I tell you, I have, I, more, the people who go after me more on academia Edu are these people who attack my view of uh, the 70 weeks. You know why? Because dispensationalists like myself in the academy, I'm not, I don't consider myself part of the academy, okay? <coughs> they, they, I, they know of me now, but the thing is, that I, I don't, I, I don't really care. But the, the issue is, in, a, in the academy, in biblical academy, they don't believe. They, they think dispensationalists is out there. They still do, although it's been more acceptable because of guys like Dan Wallace. Everybody in every seminary is using his grammar, 
So they've got some credibility because they have a guy like him, who's a dispensationalist, and, and our Bach, out of, both out of Dallas. And there are others, many others. So we're in the minority, in other words. We're, they're out, we're there in the academy, the people who are like me are in the academy, that believe this stuff, and this, this prophecy being, uh, you know, the interpretation of Daniel 9.27. But I had a guy, he was all over me. I said, he, I said, I said okay, you can go, and I, I don't mind when you want to argue with me, but answer my, you know, when I answer your retort, okay, okay, what is your answer to what I just gave you? And they don't have an answer. He gets going off. And I was like, you know, you really don't want to discuss this. You just want to talk about your view, which I find it's interesting that how upset they get when they read my stuff. And it's because I think it, because the way it's written and it's convicted them, I believe the Holy Spirit's convicted them, and they, their response is to, you know, get, me, get, get all upset. So that's actually a kind of a good sign, but not good for him because he's not thinking about it carefully. I always say, follow the evidence. I'm a dispensationalist only because of the evidence, okay? I, 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 you know, I believe what I believe because I follow, you know, there are some things, interpretations I don't hear to anymore that I was taught by people I respect and love. But I, because why? Because I don't see that, okay? As I've gone in my walk with God, my knowledge of the scriptures. So I go where the evidence shows me and I'm not trying to, I'm not going to go in here to a view or interpretation just because Dr. So-and-so said it or somebody I revere, okay? It's whether the scriptures say it, the spirit says in the scriptures and you got to support your interpretation, and if you don't have a good support, then we should reject it. So we see that uh, we one, uh, one group, one of these two, two Christological groups, views the 70th week as fulfilled already in history and immediately follows the 69th week. And they interpret the he in Daniel 9.27 as a reference to the Messiah or Christ and not the Antichrist. Now, those who do not see a gap between the, the two weeks, the 69th and the 70th week. In other words, there's a historical gap between verses uh, 26 and 27, okay? What they see here, the end of the, 20, uh, the 69th week, which would be verse 25. The gap is, there's events in between the 69th and 70th week are found in verse 26. So, those who do not see a gap, and we'll talk about this gap in detail, uh, that these would include um, Albert Barnes, Joyce Baldwin, John Calvin, John Gill, Matthew Henry, Keel, and DeLeach. They have a great commentary Old Testament. E.J. Young, a great scholar, and Leopold, H.C. Leopold. All great Bible teachers of the past, but they don't agree with what we say, as far as the dispensationalists say. Now, most of these writers, the reason why they don't is because these people are amillennial, meaning they don't believe in the 1,000-year literal reign of Messiah on earth. Okay? There are many that believe that, do that. Many Christians. They're not heretics, okay? They just don't. They have a hard time interpreting and prophecy, okay? Now, why is that? Because the dispensationalists, the, the synchronon, as Ryrie would say, of dispensationalists is, is this, is that we believe in the literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of Scripture. So are these guys that disagree with us, except when it comes to prophecy. Because if you do, you see there's a distinction between Israel and the church, Okay? You can see churches, churches of mystery dispensation. You can see there's a rapture. There's two comings of Christ, the rapture and the second advent. That's the difference between these other guys and other people. They believe in justification by faith, the deity of Christ, atonement, confession of sin. They believe in all that stuff. It's just when it comes to the prophecy and dealing with passages of the Old Testament, they get confused. So the other camp in the Christological interpretive school argues that the 70th week 
will be fulfilled in the future. Those who contend the 70th week is yet future believe there's a gap between the 69th and the 70th week. And thus there is a postponement of the fulfillment of the 70th week at this present time in history. So if you look at the chart, I'll help you see it this way. Okay, we see that, uh, uh, this is not the one, I want to let me get this other one here. Here we go, all right. Now, you see this, the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel, the 70 weeks of Daniel, the whole prophecy, okay? It begins with a decree to rebuild Jerusalem in 444 B.C. Artaxerxes Longamanus. Okay, then you have 49 prophetic years, equal to seven weeks. That's been fulfilled in history. The day is in Nehemiah. <coughs> and then following that is another 434 on top of that, equivalent to 62 weeks. That starts with the completion of the rebuilding of the Jerusalem temple, which we've talked about in Haggai. And it ends with a Christ triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now this is, up to this point, when he walked into Jerusalem, do you realize, we'll, we'll look at this, the Jews, if they knew when the, they marked the time when this began, they could have known that their Messiah was going to walk in the very day that they, he was going to walk in, right to the day. But they didn't see it. That's why Jesus, you, you, he weeped over the thing, you didn't recognize the day of your visitation. Well, when he walked in and presented himself as the, as the Messiah, and they ended up projecting him, right? Okay? That was the day that ended the first 69 weeks, the 483 prophetic years. Now, there's a time gap, and it's gone over 2,000 years, because the 70th week has not started yet with the Antichrist making the treaty. And we have the mystery dispensation, the church that's in between. And Daniel 9.26 talks about Christ's crucifixion, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD, all in verse 26, all fulfilled literally in history. Okay? There's great things to talk to an unbeliever about. They blow their mind. Okay? And uh, so we see here, again, if you put my other point up here on the board, those who contend the 70th week is yet future believe there's a gap between the 69th and the 70th week. That's what we believe. And I'll talk about this gap in this study. And thus there's a postponement of the fulfillment of the 70th week at, the, at this present time in history. Now, those who believe in a view, gap view between and with verses 926 9, and 27 include Sir Robert Anderson. He was a great, great Bible teacher. Uh, he was a lawyer, actually, uh, back in the 1800s in England. And I got his book. You can get it, pick it up in the Amazon. And it's a great book. But a lot of people have built on that and done better uh, and more accurate. Uh, but he, he started it going. And then there's also Gleason Archer, Donald Campbell, who was uh, one of the presidents of Dallas Theologian, Theological Seminary after John Wolverd, who followed Louis Ferry Schaefer. And uh, both those guys, Schaefer, Wolverd, and, and, uh, and um, Campbell, were all contemporaries with Bob Thiem, Jr. And uh, they all knew him, okay? Thomas Campbell, uh, Constable, excuse me, you can download his stuff, go online, and he's like me, you can download his stuff in PDF format, free of charge. Thomas Constable. And also Robert, he has actually uh, commentary, you know, that is not deep commentary, but it's good, and it goes through the whole Bible. 
So you can pick that up, download that. Also, Robert Culver, he's a great uh, Bible, t- uh, did a lot of work in eschatology. Thomas Ice is around today. You can download his stuff off the top. I might have heard him. I think he might be with Rapture Ready or something like that. He's a really good writer. I like him a lot. H.A. Ironside, uh, he was another one of the old timers back at Dallas. William Kelly and Alvin McLean did a great book on the, on the kingdom of God, and uh, he, I got his, his book. He's, he was a great, uh, uh, from the previous generation as well, contemporary with Bob Thiem and, and you know, Wolverine, Pentecost, and Schaefer and all those guys. And there's also, um, of course, Dwight, Dwight Pentecost, Randall Price, who's like my generation, John Wolverine, of course, second president of Dallas, and then you have John Wickham and Leon Wood, to name a few. So primarily, we see, is that dispensationalists and premillennialists hold to this view that, what, what's that view? That the 70th week will be fulfilled in the future. Dispensationalists and premillennialists believe that the second advent of Christ precedes the millennium. Okay, that's why we call it premillennial. Okay, and, and it's also the dispensationalists and those who are premillennialists believe that the second advent of Christ precedes the millennium and in the literal bodily, they believe, the literal bodily 1,000 year reign of the Messiah on planet Earth. They believe the scriptures teach there's a distinction between Israel and the church. Let me tell you something about that, okay? You get to that point of view because of your your hermeneutic, we call it. The literal, grammatic, historical reproach to the scriptures. Or you know it as ice, through Bob Thien's, he uses ice principle. It's the same thing as what I'm saying, okay? And the others go say it. So he just uses his own terminology. So we see that, that... when you get to that, you're going to see that there's a distinction between Israel and the church, but you've got to be careful about that. There's a caveat, many have realized this, is that, yeah, there's a distinction between the church and Israel. And then when I do a series on the church, I'll go into that in detail. Yeah, there's the church, it's composed of two races, Jew and Gentile. That's clear from Revelation, uh, Romans 11, and in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22, a book I just finished exegeting not too long ago. We'll teach here, okay? So, but... We see that, if you notice, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, New Testament prophets, is the foundation of the church with Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone of the church. Jesus also said to the apostles, you're going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. See, the remnant of Israel, that's in the church, is actually... One branch of the church, the other branch being us Gentiles, Christians, okay? So that tells you there is some continuity and discontinuity between the Israel and the church. The continuity, we call it, means the connection is that the apostles are the linchpin. The apostles, are, their teaching is the cornerstone of the church, and they're going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel during the millennial reign. See? Okay? But the difference between Israel and the church is there's two races for the church. Jew and Gentile. The remnant, the, the Israel that we're talking about, it's going to be regenerated and restored to the land. That's talking about people who are just Jews, no Jew, Gentiles, okay? So there's a difference. And the church is a mystery dispensation. It wasn't known to Old Testament saints, okay? So we believe, dispensationalists and those who believe in the premillennial view, uh, they believe, we believe, the scriptures teach there's a distinction between Israel and the church and we contend that the he, as I pointed out earlier in Daniel 9.27, is a reference to the Antichrist and not the Messiah. 
They also believe in the literal grammatical historical method of interpretation. We also hold to a normal literal hermeneutic interpretation. Now, when I say literal, that doesn't mean we don't, agree, we don't see figures of speech. Like, I know what it says in John 15, you know, that the vine and the branches metaphor is a metaphor, okay? Eat my body, drink my blood. He's speaking figurative language, right? So we understand that. So because you believe in the literal interpretation of scripture, doesn't mean you don't recognize metaphors and figurative language, okay? Because that's some of the things you'll get attacks on dispensationalists, and that's what they'll say, okay? And they're wrong, and you can, you can, hold, you can uh, uh, hold them accountable on that one. So those in this school of interpretation usually consider the 70 weeks as, seven, as weeks of years and thus 490 prophetic years. That's what we believe. We do not consider these 70 weeks as weeks of days, okay? Conservative scholars generally feel the time units are years. However, those who are amillennial resist this idea because it doesn't conform to their theological paradigm. And listen, it's very important. All of us come to the scriptures with a certain pre, uh, a basis, a certain knowledge base, okay? So that's okay. Everybody has it. As long as you, as long as you go to the scriptures, you're aware that you're a dispensationalist, okay, a premillennial, and we'll take that, and just keep that in mind, because what's going to determine if you're right or wrong is what the evidence says in scripture. So no matter what your theological paradigm or your eschatology is, amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, whatever, whatever it is, keep that in mind, but the scriptures are the final judge of whether, what's the right view. So a lot of people go in where they're already in mind what they, what they believe and they, that's how they interpret the scriptures. No, the scriptures got to interpret themselves and you, you've got to follow where the evidence leads. So if I, if, if I saw the scriptures over these years, I've been just serious about the Bible for a long time since I was oh, probably mid-20s, by 24, I'm 62 now, okay? I've devoted my whole adult life to that. If I didn't think dispensational was right, guess what, I, wouldn't, I would drop it, you know? I, I would have dropped dispensationalism because it's not right. Right? If it, but I see it's right. It's the same thing like uh, the, the creation, chaos, restoration, Genesis chapter 1. I believe in that. I'm looking to change my view. That's a minority view, but I can't because I have my reasons. <laughs> I have my reasons. It's clear to me that, that that view is right, even though it's the minority view. So it's all about what the evidence says in Scripture. Now, with regards to Daniel 9.27... In the Hebrew text of Daniel 9.24, the phrase 70 weeks literally, literally reads, as we saw in the NIV, amazingly, because they're a dynamic equivalent translation, 77s, which refers to years <coughs> and not days. And that's clearly indicated through a comparison of Scripture with Scripture. See what I just said? In the, in the text of Hebrew 9, Daniel 9.24, when it says, if you look at the beginning of the passage... Daniel 9.24, it says, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to what? To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So these 77s, as I said with this point on the board, these 77s, in the Hebrew text of Daniel 9.24, just get this back here. The phrase 70 weeks or 77s, as it says in the NIV, literally, it refers to years and not days. How do we know that? It's indicated to a comparison of scripture with scripture. So this is 490 prophetic years I'm talking about here. 
I'm giving you my reasons why. First of all, Daniel was reading Jeremiah before he got this revelation. Okay? Daniel was reading Jeremiah's prophecy regarding Israel's Babylonian exile, which was the last 70 years. Look at the beginning of chapter 9. Look at Daniel 9.1. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Daniel 9.1, in the first year, Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. 70, okay, 70 years. Keep that in mind. Now, let's look at the prophecy. Hold your place. Go to Jeremiah. We've seen this in our previous studies of Habakkuk. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25. And I'm going to, uh, verse 11, we'll start there. Daniel chapter 25, Jeremiah chapter 25, excuse me. And look at uh, verse 11. Daniel's reading the prophecy, okay, of Jeremiah. So before he gets the 70 weeks prophecy, he's reading Jeremiah's prophecy prophecy that says 70 years is the discipline for Israel in Babylon. Okay? So it says in Jeremiah 25, 11, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations, we talked about in the past, uh, will serve the king of Babylon 70 years, the nations of the Mediterranean uh, region of the world back in the 6th and 7th century BC. But when the 70 years... Are fulfilled. He says, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. So he emphasizes 70 years, verse 11 and verse 12. Look at chapter 29, same book. Look at verse 10. first started studying this stuff, when I really got into the Bible, I told you I was led to the Lord by a guy who was big time in a prophecy, right? I was so, I, I would be up all night, I remember having my girlfriend at the time, be going, I'd be like, oh, I'm supposed to be on a date at like 7.30, and he's like, I get this call, Billy, where are you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'd be working away. I had this, I worked in this place, an uh, NEC dealer, and I got this state-of-the-art, you know, 286, I think it was a 386. And NEC, they had great stuff. And the printer, that, that, that 386, 286 lasted all the way till the time I was ready to go to Iowa. I could have kept it for crying out loud. That's, they made great stuff, those guys. And uh, I would be up all night studying this stuff. I just, once I got going, I couldn't stop. I was like, this is like, woo. And I was like, I, I feel great. I was like, I was like invigorated. I was like, oh, that's what turned me on to Bible study. I was like, oh man, this is blast. So he says, and Jeremiah 29, 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And then he says in verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, the the remnant of Israel, and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then he says in verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. 
I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place which I, from which I carried you into exile, when you may say, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. So we see that if that's 70 years, okay, that this is going to go on. Verse 10, 70 years are completed. So we see that in the Hebrew text, back to this point again, in the Hebrew text of Daniel 9.24, the phrase 70 weeks literally reads 77s, which refers to years and not days, is clearly indicated through a comparison of scripture with Scripture. And the first of those is that Daniel was reading Jeremiah's prophecy. We saw the first two verses of Daniel chapter 9. And we saw that he's reading the prophecy that we just read in Jeremiah. Verses 20, chapter 25, verses 11 and 12, and Daniel, uh, Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14. Furthermore, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21, speaks of Jeremiah's prophecy concerning the Babylonian exile, and it indicates quite clearly that the exile will last 70 years. Uh, look at 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Which is a cool chapter, really. Second Chronicles chapter 36, look at verse 21. Second Chronicles 36, 21. The land enjoyed its rest, Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed and fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. See that? So, we see these 70 weeks in Daniel 9, 24 cannot possibly be 70 weeks in the ordinary, literal sense or 490 days for the number has an obvious relation to the 70 years of Jeremiah's prophecy in Jeremiah 25, verse 11, and 2 Chronicles 36, 21. Finally, the context clearly indicates that Daniel is referring to years and not days because Daniel, 9, 20, Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, and you go back to Daniel 9, indicates that Jeremiah's prophecy of Israel's Babylonian captivity would be 70 years. We read that as well. So the 70 years of captivity. What were they for? Well, they were the, for the, they were the specific penalty for violating 70 sabbatic years, which would be 77s, a total of 70 years. Okay, see the relationship? And furthermore, the seven days are one week, and every seventh year was a Sabbath rest. And 77s brought them to the year of Jubilee, which is noted in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 8 through 12. Now, the provisions for the land Sabbath rest are recorded in detail in Leviticus chapter 25 and 26. But in those 490 years, Israel had violated exactly 70 sabbatic years, so they would go into captivity for 70 years to make amends. The 490 could not designate days, which is about 101 year, one and one-third years. For that, it couldn't be designate days, the 490, for that would not be enough time for the events prophesied in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Now, the same is true of the 490 weeks of seven days, 
which is equivalent to nine and a half years, 3,430 days. Also, if days were intended, one would expect Daniel to have added the phrase of days after the 77s, because that's what he did in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, same book, Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, where he literally wrote three sevens of days, three weeks. He doesn't do that here. If he, if he, if he meant literal days there, he would have done what he did in Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Also, it's important to understand that the length of a prophetic year, and I passed this through last week, I think, the length of the prophetic year was not 365 days, but rather 360 days. Since the solar year, which we live by, of 365.25 days, okay, was unknown to the nations in the Old Testament. But the Jewish year of biblical times was lunar, solar, and had only 360 days. So therefore we see that this is borne out in Revelation, in John's vision of the Great Tribulation, because it describes the last three and a half years as precisely 1,260 days in Revelation 12.6, and 42 months of 30 days each in Revelation 13, verse 5. So the time, times, and a half time in Daniel 7.25 corresponds to these two passages, which speak of the last three and a half years of the 70th week. The tribulation portion of the, uh, uh, the 70th week of Daniel, in other words, the Armageddon campaign, which we're going to look at in great detail with the seven seal, trumpet, and bull judgments, and other places, okay? So, therefore, the 70 weeks of Daniel refer to 490 prophetic years of 360 days, okay? According to the Jewish reckoning in time. So, I gave you my reasons and my explanation for the 77s, what they were about. Now, we can go next week into a discussion of uh, these uh, of the what's the beginning of this, this, this you know the, the beginning of the seventy uh, the seventy week prophecy and the end of the 69th week. Okay, so when does the prophecy begin? And we're going to talk about when is it when is the pro the, the 69th week end the 483rd prophetic year. That's important. Okay, and we just touched upon it tonight already. So if you look at the chart on the board, and we'll go through this go slow as I can. Don't worry, if you didn't get everything tonight, of course you won't, I mean, unless you know some of this already, just be, be relaxed. Don't get freaked out. Um, I repeat, if you haven't realized that already. So I repeat because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what I was taught. That's how I learn is repetition. I have to hear something over and over and over and over and over again, for I get it because I'm hard, I got a hard head, okay? I'm from Massachusetts too, okay? I talk too much, talk too fast. I don't listen enough, right? So anyways, Daniel's 70 weeks is, here it is. It's the, it begins, and we'll see this next week. It begins with a decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. That was in 444 B.C. We'll go through the different decrees of that period because there were others, okay? Why is this one the correct one, the long one? Okay? That marks the beginning of the 70 weeks prophecy. And so then we have, remember, we have two, this, 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 uh, the first 69 weeks, which is equivalent to 483 prophetic years, is broken out into two sections, like the 70th week. You have seven weeks, which is equivalent to 49 years. That's when the temple was rebuilt. Remember Nehemiah? The book of Nehemiah is about this. Okay, And then contiguous with that, contiguous, continuous, no, 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 no gap in between, we have another 434 prophetic years, 
which is equivalent to 62 weeks. When did that start? Well, it started with the completion of the rebuilding of Jerusalem, as documented in Nehemiah, and it ends, and this is why I'm talking about how profound this is, Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem to present himself as the Jewish Messiah. If the Jews knew what the mark, the 70 weeks had start, began with Artaxerxes Long Emmaus decree, and they could if they wanted to, they would, have expect, they would have said, this Jesus of Nazareth's got to be the guy. When he walks into Jerusalem, presents himself as the Messiah, the people who knew this prophecy would be going, there he is, right on the day, right on time. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's just phenomenal. It's like we go through this. So now, there's, there's a gap now. The 70th week has not begun because nothing has happened in history where we have a Roman dictator, okay, United States of Europe is what it's going to be, Antichrist, a Roman, he's going to make a, 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 a treaty with Israel for seven years. That's what Daniel 9.27 just said. We haven't seen anything like that yet. Not yet. It hasn't happened. And all those things that just, just prophesied in verse 27 in Daniel 9, when have we seen them happen in history? Look at Daniel 9.27 20, uh, again, real quick. What does it say in Daniel 9.27? He, not Jesus, it's, it's the Antichrist, the ruler of the people, from the people who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Who were they? The Romans. See that? So the ruler here, he's the, the reference for the he here at the beginning of verse 27. If you follow the rules of grammar, it's got to be this guy who we know is the Antichrist. He will confirm a covenant with the many for seven, one seven. Seven years. One week, right? When does that happen in history? Haven't seen it yet. I don't know anybody in history. In the set, in the middle, don't say it's, don't say it's Antiochus Epiphanes IV, because he didn't do this. And in, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Antiochus Epiphanes put to end to sacrifices. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay? So he's called the desolator. So that has not happened in history. The preterists say this has happened in history, but where? With who? Okay, so if you go back to my chart here, before that treaty begins, we see that the church is in here. Well, actually, Daniel 9.26 is talking about the events that take place after the 69th week, Christ's triumphal entry, and the beginning of the 70th week, Antichrist making the treaty. Daniel 9.26, Christ was crucified, the temple was destroyed, and so was Jerusalem all by the Romans in 70 AD. That took place, Daniel 926, and that took place right in this area, before, the, before, we see, before the church began. The church is the linchpin here when the rapture takes place. Uh, do we have enough time? Uh, no, we don't have enough time. We'll, we have, we'll have plenty of this time in this study anyways to do it. But so there we have it. And so it went, before we wrap up, so the 70th week, when the church is gone, okay, then Antichrist can appear, as Paul says to us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, okay, verses 1 through 12. Remember, there were people in Thessalonica who were saying, false doctrine, saying the day of the Lord has already begun. And they were freaking out. And Paul says, no, this is what has to take place before that can happen. What's that? Verses 6 and 7 of that chapter? The Holy Spirit, who's the restrainer, his omnipotence working through the church, which he indwells permanently, bodily is restraining evil in the world today through you and I. Okay? 
So it tells you the power that you have and I have. This whole thing can't go down until we're out of here. When that happens, when he's removed, Paul says, then you say, right at, immediately after that, you know, Antichrist can show up and make the treaty. He could be, if we're the rapture generation, in other words, he would be walking the earth right now. So I just want you to be, don't be one of these, like, these knuckleheads. They go running around and following every website saying, oh, where's the Antichrist? I think the Antichrist, oh. every time a new president comes aboard, the Democrats, oh, the, whoever, the, Trump is the Antichrist. And then the De- Republicans, then Obama is the Antichrist. And I go, you're all idiots for crying out loud. He's going to be, he's going to be a Roman. Shut up. Stop talking me out of your, out of your hat. As my father would say, gosh, oh, Christ, I want to shoot them all. Just shut up. When I did the Antichrist series, every Tom, Dick, and Harry, which I knew would come out, comes blowing out of the building. Like, what do you get? Where do they get these people? You know what? Because people want to get their likes up on Facebook and YouTube, and they, you know, they, want everybody, they want to draw a crowd. So what do you do? You talk about the Antichrist. And he's got to be Trump. He's got to be Biden. No, he's not either one of these guys. Come here, Roman. Oh, Bill, again, where's Rome today? Well, what was the United States 300 years ago? Really? I mean, can God not take all these empires of the past? Even Britain, what were they? God can do it just like that. We already have the United States of Europe already. Where did Rome, Rome come out of? Europe, right? So it's already ready to go. What do you think has been going on since World War II? We want to get a European common market. There it is. Cash to society, all that stuff that's coming. They got it all in the works. American greenbacks are holding the thing up. We like our greenbacks. I like a greenback too. I like, I got a $50 bill today. I was like, oh, don't ever go cashless. I love a $50 in my hand. Smells good. It's like Napalm in the morning. Scroll that, whatever his name is. And uh, the, uh, you remember that movie, Napalm in the morning? So here we have, we're, everything's revolving around what, what's going to happen with us. So what I'm telling you is don't fall for these knuckleheads out there who get you running around every, every... You need to concentrate on the spiritual life based upon what God's going to do, which is imminent. We should be living holy lives, living the spiritual life, keeping short accounts with God. What I mean by that? Confess your sins immediately. Don't wait till tomorrow. What the rapture came and you were sinning. You know? You're hanging out. You're, you're running around the sack with Susie Q or Billy Bob. That will look good. Oh, excuse me, Lord. I was just ready to get serious with you. No, if you, if you if you really take this stuff that's coming down the pipe future, you'll live accordingly. You and I will live accordingly. We'll be careful about that. You know, we'll confess our sins immediately and do what the Word of God's telling us. Be, and, and, and be uh, diligent students of the Word of God. Grow up the spiritual maturity. That's the game plan for the church. Don't ever lose sight of that. Yeah, the rapture's exciting, the second, the tribulation period. All this stuff we're going to learn is very important. It's in the Word of God. But don't ever lose sight of the fact that you and I our job is to grow up to maturity. Become like Jesus Christ. That's the plan for the church age. Well, we're just getting the ball rolling here, so we're going to pick this up uh, Yeah, next Wednesday. Remember, next Wednesday is the last uh, class before the Christmas break. <coughs> and I got, uh, then we have uh, the 24th is off, and the 27th we don't have a class, and then we resume classes on Sunday, December 31st. And we don't have any prayer meeting uh, this month because it's usually the last Wednesday of the month, so we don't do that. And anyways, that's about it. So let's uh, let's close in prayer, and I'll try to sing us a song, and we'll see how that goes. And it's a Christmas song, so let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. 
We pray that this lesson be a blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.